Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guest. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to set up a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com, or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the 9th Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. I have to tell you that as we have gone through these lessons thus far on the parable of the sower, that as we studied the wayside soil two weeks ago and the rocky soil last week, and this morning we're going to think about the thorny soil, I, kind, of, kind of confession time here. One of the reasons that I wanted us to sort of put the brakes on as far as studying the words of Jesus and spend some time with this parable. I don't want to say it's a selfish reason, but it is sort of a personal reason. That is, I'll just confess to you, there are times in my life, well, when I'm somewhat tempted to be one of those negative kinds of soul. I want to be the good soil. I think everybody in here does, right? We want to be there and we want to run to that that fourth kind of soil that Lord willing we'll think about next week. But if we're not careful, we can so much want to run to that good kind of soil and just believe that's who we are, that we don't really take the time to examine ourselves and think about. Maybe I'm not the wayside or the rocky or the thorny soil, but am I tempted in those ways from time to time? And I have to tell you that of all the three, if you please, negative kinds of soil in this parable, the hardest one to prepare a sermon for is the thorny soil. And the reason is simple. It's because it's the one that tempts me the most. We read the parable a few moments ago. If you have your Bible open to Matthew 13, there it is. But if you've noticed in the lessons thus far, if you've been here, we've been spending more of our time as far as the sermon itself in Jesus' explanation of the parable. Because we're so grateful that Jesus gave us that explanation. We don't have to try to figure out what do these birds mean and what, what do these thorns mean and what does, the, what does all this stuff mean? Jesus gave the divine interpretation or explanation for us and so we can go to that explanation. And I have to tell you that when we think about the thorny soil and we see the explanation that Jesus gives, if this doesn't hit close to home with you, at least at certain times in your life, then you're one amazing individual or you might be in self-denial. I want to remind you of three things this morning about the thorny soil. The first of which we'll spend very little time on because it's, I'll admit, virtually a repeat of the first couple sermons in this series. But I want to remind you first of all very briefly of the simple fact that these are hearers again. I point that out in each of these lessons because it's so easy for us to forget That Jesus is speaking to people in this parable and he is talking about people in the explanation of the parable who obviously were listening to him talk. But do you remember all the way back when we started this series of the wayside soil, we said these are people who continually hear the word. 
These are people who constantly were taking in. In the day of Christ, they probably had heard John the Baptist preach. They probably, or they were now for sure, hearing Jesus preach. They had their thoughts on religious things, at least to some degree. And that's the case with the thorny soil as well. And here we are, sitting in a house of worship, Listening to the Word of God proclaimed. A few moments ago we heard about nine verses of it read. You may have been here the last hour and sat through a Bible class. Maybe you taught a Bible class and you you thought about a passage of Scripture or a biblical topic and maybe you had your Bible open and were reading passages or flipping to passages and finding things. That's who we are talking about. This is not, as I've said in each of the two lessons thus far, this is not a parable, if you please, for the people out there. This is a parable for us. And even with the thorny soil, Jesus makes it clear that these are people who hear and who don't mind hearing, at least to some degree, the Word of God. With that in mind, let's go to the second place where we're going to spend most of our time. As Jesus gives the explanation of the parable in Matthew chapter 13, He describes what it is that chokes the Word. In the explanation that Jesus gave of the parable, He likens this thorny soil to something that chokes the word. If you're in Matthew 13, look at what he said in verse 22. We'll read most of the verse. We'll finish it in just a few moments. He said in verse 22, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, as we just discussed, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. We'll get to the rest of the verse in just a little while. So these are people who hear the word. We already we talked about that. But something keeps the word from taking full flower to, to, to fulfilling its potential, if you want to think of it that way. And Jesus takes the time then in this explanation to give us a couple of things. And I think it's fascinating that he lists one that's general or generic and one that's more specific. The generic one, he simply says, is the cares of the world. And I find it fascinating how he put that. For one thing... It's plural. He didn't say the care of the world. Because then you and I could spend all of our time trying to figure out what that one care is. He simply said the cares. Plural. Now I know he's going to go on to specifically state one of them. But he doesn't say the cares, the, the care of the world, which is the deceitful of the rich. That's not what he says. It's a list of two things. And the first of those things is generic. The cares of the world. Why would he be... So unspecific. Why doesn't he then go on to give us a list and say, what I'm talking about here is this and this and this and this and this. It's because in its generic nature, that's where we get the power of this phrase. Jesus does not, by saying the cares of the world, say that these are necessarily sinful things. He doesn't say the sins of the world, does he? He doesn't say the iniquities of the world. He doesn't even point out what John would write later in his life and say all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust... That's not what he says. He says the cares of this world. Let me ask a question. What do you care about? Folks, that's what we're talking about this morning. It doesn't have to be something sinful. It's simply the things that are of this life that we care about. And they don't have to be bad. 
But the things of this life that we care about, that if we're not careful, can begin to draw our attention away from the Word of God and supplant its place as the priority of our life. It could be hobbies. It could be jobs. It could even be our families. It could be money. Jesus will mention that specifically in a moment. It it, it could be things we just enjoy doing. It could be anything. Anything of this life that we simply care about. Some time ago in my Wednesday night class, we studied a little short book. I think it was only like six chapters long. Went through it in a month or so on the subject of idolatry. And in that book, the writer of that book, a friend of mine that preaches in Texas, Wes McAdams, defined idolatry this way. We often define idolatry as something that takes the place of God. That's not a bad definition. But what he defined it as is putting as the ultimate something that should not be ultimate. That's a pretty good definition. Because an idol doesn't have to be something that's bad, at least at the start. But can I not make an idol out of something even that's good? But I make it the ultimate. And Jesus, in speaking about the cares of the world, is saying, that's what can choke out the Word of God. How how does that happen? There's a lot of ways it can happen. We can obviously think, think of simply how we use our, our time. You know, we spend so much time with these things of the world. We care about them. But I don't think that we need to sit down at the end of the day and say, okay, there's 24 hours in the day. But I was asleep for, well, last night, about five and a half of them. But hopefully eight. You know, it's somewhere in that range, right? So let's just say 16 hours, 16 waking hours. And so that means I've got to spend eight hours and one minute on the Word of God and seven hours and 59 minutes on the other things, and then that's not choked. That's not, it's not a ledger thing. It's not an accounting thing. It's a heart thing. Where is the draw of my heart? Where's my mind? Is it only on the things of the world first? And then those things begin to choke out the word because my mind is no longer on reading and studying and thinking about and meditating and even applying the word of God. It's on the things of this world. And I'll give you another test. How can I know if the cares of the world are beginning to choke out the Word? Another test is I begin to excuse the things of the world, even when they stand in contrast to the Word of God. Can I give you an example? I have had people, Christians, maybe they were joking, but they sure didn't sound like they were joking, who've said to me things like, you better not sit by me at the ball game because... I say things at ball games I never would say anywhere else, and I don't want the preacher sitting beside me. That's not funny. It's just not funny. Because it excuses a care of the world when I know that it stands in contrast with the Word of God. It's choking out the world. That's just one example among a million we could use. But we begin to see things of this world that I care about, and I begin to hold up how I act around those things in contrast to the Word of God. What about the workaholic? Is work a good thing? Of course. Scripture even says, if a man will not work, neither should he eat. We're supposed to provide for our household. But how often can we begin to to justify being away from our families over and over and over again just, just to get more and more and more and to have more and more, to have a certain kind of status because I work really, really hard. And I'm not being a father or a mother or a husband or a wife. 
and I'm not spending time in the Word of God because I'm spending all my waking hours being some status symbol of what it means to work really hard. Do you see why Jesus would be generic in saying the cares of the world? But then he does go on to give one specific one, doesn't he? He says the cares of the world can choke out the word. But then he also says the deceitfulness of riches can choke out the word. You know, the Bible never says riches are good or bad. Money is just an object. It's just a thing. I've heard it described several ways or compared, I should say, several times to to a brick. A brick is not good and a brick is not bad. It's just a brick. Now, in the hands of one person, they might take that brick and buy some other materials and build an orphanage or a hospital. Now, did that make that brick good? No, it was just used for a good purpose. But in the hands of somebody else, they might take that same brick and throw it through their neighbor's window for no apparent reason. Did that make the brick bad? No, they just used it for a bad purpose. That's the way the Bible treats money or possessions. It's neither good nor bad, but if we're not careful, it reveals what's in our heart. And that's why Jesus would say the deceitfulness of riches. Riches promise more than they can provide. And Paul would give the divine commentary on that in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Beginning in verse 6, he wrote these words. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Not necessarily into sin, but into temptation. Into a snare. Into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And then he famously wrote, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, the love of money, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs, or some translations have, with many sorrows. And by the way, it's no wonder that the very next line that Paul would write to Timothy is, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. It's no wonder he would specifically talk about fleeing from certain things after he had spent five or six verses talking about the love of money, the craving of finances, those sorts of things. And in the parable and in the explanation of the parable, Jesus is not saying that we should never think about money or never think about things that just never cross our mind. It's not what he's saying, but he calls it the deceitfulness of those things. If I begin to think that all of my problems will be solved just if I get more, if I earn more, if I have more, I'm deceived. Because I begin to get on this hamster wheel that never ends. I make $40,000 a year and I decide, you know what? If I could just make $50,000 a year, then all my problems will be solved. No, you know why? Because then you'd have $50,000 a year problems. <laughs> it wouldn't solve all the problems. It's just going to bring a new set. It's also going to bring a new kind of temptation when the bottom line goes up a little bit. And it's not that we should never desire to, to advance or to make more. That's not what he's saying. But if we begin to think that's going to solve our problems, we're deceived. And we begin, it begins to choke out the Word of God because I begin to think of money and stuff and finances as the answer to my problems when the Word of God is the answer to my problems. Do you see why I said this is the one that can be the most tempting of the negative kinds of soil? This hits way too close to home. Way too often. Jesus says that those cares of the world 
and those decei- the deceitfulness of riches, he said they choke the word. It's an interesting term. The original word that's translated choke is only found five times in the New Testament. Four of them are in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in telling or explaining the parable of the sower. But the other, the fifth time, is in Luke chapter 8 and verse 42. You have the reference on the screens. And it's the text where Jesus is going towards the house of Jairus. And at the end of Luke chapter 8 and verse 42, the Bible says that the crowds pressed around or pressed in on him. The old King James says they thronged him. You've had that happen, haven't you? Maybe you were leaving a sporting event or something and the crowd was just right up against you or getting close to Christmas. Now you're making your last minute Christmas shopping and it's like you can't even move around the the, the cash registers and stuff because people are just everywhere. drives me crazy. I can't stand that kind of stuff. I, I want space. I want to be able to move my arms. I want to be able to breathe. But that's what was happening to Jesus in Luke chapter 8. And that's the word that Jesus chooses when he explains the parable of the sower and what the deceitfulness of riches, what the cares of the world, excuse me, and the deceitfulness of riches, what they do to the word of God. They press in on it and they begin to take over. They choke out the word. What happens when that happens to someone's heart? That's number three. As Jesus gives us the result of all this and its unfruitfulness, I want you to to notice a progression that's found in these different types of soil within the parable. The, the, The result of them, if you will. Because... What we're going to see with the thorny soil really is somewhat frightening. You remember back with, with the wayside soil, there wasn't much of a result, right? The, the seed just landed on the ground and the birds came out. There wasn't a plant involved. The seed was just eaten before anything could ever happen to it. There was no root, no plant, no fruit, nothing. With the rocky soil, you remember, the seed went down into the ground, right? And it grew a little bit of root and then the, the, the plant came up, whatever it was. But there wasn't enough root. And so when the sun, the scorching sun comes up, the plant dies because there's nothing that can support the the height and the fruit of the plant. It it couldn't support all that. But something very different happens with the thorny soil. If you're still in Matthew 13, I want to read verse 22 in its entirety. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. That was our first point. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. That was our second point. And it proves unfruitful. Now here is where sometimes being familiar with a text can work against us. Most of us are quite familiar with this parable. We've read our whole lives, had Bible classes on it, or vacation Bible school lessons on it when we were kids. And we, we know kind of what's going on. And so we begin to just sort of think ahead in our reading. But I want you to notice what Jesus did not say. In that explanation, he did not say that the plant died. Did you notice that? That is not what he says with the thorny soil. He doesn't say, as he did with the rocky soil, that the scorching heat comes up and just withers away the plant and there's nothing left. He he doesn't even say, like with the wayside soil, that some birds come along and destroy the plant or destroy the seed or anything along those lines. We are told that this plant, that the thorns grow up around the plant. And not that the plant dies, but the plant becomes unfruitful. In other words, the end result of this plant was that it was something still recognizable as as whatever plant it was supposed to be. It's made a plant or a place of wheat or whatever, but it never put on the fruit. It didn't have the strength to be its full potential of a plant. 
On the screens in front of you, this is not from my garden before anybody asks, okay? You've got a picture of some tomato plants. And I wish that picture that I found had someone standing beside them, maybe a child standing, because those look like pretty good-sized tomato plants, right? They're green, and they're strong and tall. There's one problem with them. Anybody notice what it is? There's not even a bloom on them. Not only are they not tomatoes, there's not even one of those nice little, you get so excited, that yellow bloom. Yes! I mean, that's not even there. How frustrating would that be? To have this beautiful, I know it's a tomato plant, but I'm not going to harvest a single tomato off of it this, this summer because it didn't even put on a bloom. And I couldn't find a good picture of, of that because of thorns. This was just one I, I found that said something like tomato with no fruit on it or something. But, but Jesus is saying that's what's going on with the thorny soil. You know it's a tomato plant or a green bean vine or a bush of green beans or wheat. or wheat. You know that's what it is, but it doesn't have the strength to put on the fruit because the thorns have taken away the nourishment and taken away the strength and potential of that plant. What is the point Jesus is trying to make? There are people who hear the Word of God. And there are people who obey the Word of God. But they never move their full life in submission to the Word of God. If you please, they're not willing to remove the thorns, the the, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of the riches, and they never become the type of Christian they fully, potentially could be. Oh, they look like a Christian, just like those kind of look like tomato plants. They, they come to church on Sunday. They, they may even carry a big Bible. I mean, they, they look like it, right? They, they may even teach a Bible class. They may stand up and preach every Sunday. But all the while in here, this world is keeping them from being everything they could be. Many years ago, J.D. McGarvey wrote his fourfold gospel and I had heard people say this before and until I bought that book several years ago. I didn't realize it. I guess it originated with him because this goes back into the 1800s. But as he was writing about the thorny soil and explaining the parable and giving his comments, he wrote these words. He said, The thorny soil represents those who begin well, but afterward permit worldly cares to gain the mastery. Now listen carefully. He said, These today outnumber all other classes, and perhaps they have always done so. Wait, what, what's he saying? He was saying in his judgment it's at least possible that there's more thorny soil than any of the other three. And it's because it's the easiest to fake. I look right. I talk right. I do the things that other people would expect Christians to do. I don't lie. I'm faithful to my wife. But all the while in here, the world really has a hold of my heart. And I'm not bearing fruit for the kingdom. And I'm deceiving nobody. 
except God. Excuse me, I'm deceiving everybody except God. And so may I ask, for the third time, how is your heart? I'm not trying to preach this lesson this morning to run anybody down. I'm preaching this lesson this morning because I need it. The most deceptive kind of soil found in the whole parable is the thorny soil. Because I can give all the right outward appearance and not be willing to remove the things that are taking away my full potential. I do the right stuff, but I'm not going to bear fruit for the kingdom. I'm not going to try to win anybody for Christ necessarily. Or I'm not going to do the hard work that it takes to really have the the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I might have some of those things, but I'm not really going to work on it. And remove those things would keep me from developing those over and over and over again. And I'm fooling everybody. Deep down inside, deep down inside, I know, I know that the Word of God no longer has its place of priority in my life. It's being pressed in on, and it will be choked out. What's the cure? The cure is Proverbs 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. The cure is 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. Take every thought captive in order to obey Christ. It's not wrong to enjoy sports or hobbies or work or family or any of those things. It's, it's, it's not wrong. And that's part of what makes teaching a lesson like this so hard. People think, well, he's saying, oh, I've got to wake up every morning and open my Bible and read until I fall asleep that night. That's not what we're saying. It's not wrong to enjoy certain things in this life. But it is so easy to fall into those things choking out the priority of the Word of God in our lives. And Jesus is saying, when that happens, I am not fruitful in His kingdom. And even more frighteningly, He knows it. I can't hide it from Him. I can fool everybody else because I look like a faithful one. I look like a Christian. I talk like a Christian. But I'm not bearing fruit for the kingdom. How's your heart? Are you willing to do the hard work of removing those things, allowing God to help you to remove those things that you care more about than you do the Word of God? Are you willing to do the hard work removing that desire for just more and more and more so that I can be somebody in this world and let the Word of God fully have root in your heart? May I remind you The plant in the thorny soil and the thorns both grew on the same plot of ground. 
at some point, we've got to take the thorns out. And praise God, He gave us a Savior who will. Are you willing this morning to allow Him to save you by your obedient will, obedience to His will? This morning as a Christian, are you willing to give your life to Him again? Say, you know what? This world has too much of a hold on me and I'm tired. I'm tired of trying to just look like a Christian. I'm tired of just acting like it and I'm ready to remove that stuff. I'm ready for God to forgive me and to start over so that I'm that good soul that I'm so excited about preaching next Sunday because I'm tired of talking about the bad stuff. But folks, you don't have to wait till next week to be the good soil. Why not make it today? Why not ask for forgiveness? Why not ask for encouragement? And if that's your desire, we'll pray with you. We'll encourage you. If you're not a Christian, we'd be more than happy to baptize you, immerse you in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Will you come while we stand and sing to encourage you?